We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Bellato. Tonight we are here to break down the Giants defense on the All-22 coaches film from their Week 2 preseason game against the Carolina Panthers. We saw some interesting things, including the preseason debut of Leonard Williams. Dexter Lawrence played in this game and made his usual plays. Cecil Jolari and Kevin Thibodeau played again. Bobby Okereke made his preseason debut. So that was really interesting to see as well. The leader of this defense, and he wore the green dot, which means he will be their quote-unquote quarterback of the defense, not Xavier McKinney with the green dot, getting the plays called into his headset. Nick, um, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with any of the interesting things you saw from Wink Martindale, Giants defensive coordinator in this game, the big names I mean, I'm up front? Where, where do you want to go with this? I think Bobby Okereke just received the green dot for this game. That's contingency off of Xavier McKinney. So I wanted to clarify that unless I missed something. No, I, I think that could be, that could likely be the okay. case as well. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think Okereke is going to come off the field too frequently. We'll see maybe a little bit of quarter, but when you have a linebacker who can move that way and who is that good against the run, which we're about to get into, you don't really want to take him off the football field. That's right where I want to start. The run defense with Bobby Okereke was so crisp and I get it. Miles Sanders didn't play. This is the Carolina Panthers rushing attack. Their offensive line is a little subpar. I think it's safe to say they have a rookie quarterback, but watching Bobby Okereke scrape and flow to the football along with Micah McFadden, those two were always in position and you have the big dogs up front. And that was the main primary thing that caught my eye was just, holy shit, 58 is flying around the football field and sticking the running back at or just beyond the line of scrimmage. Was wildly impressed with his movement skills and his ability to position himself where he had to be. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. This was, in our mind, the biggest offseason acquisition outside of Darren Waller. And in some ways bigger because what we decided last year, and we said it over and over after watching the tape week after week, after the season, during the playoff game, is the biggest actual concern for the Giants isn't this wide receiver core everyone makes out to be the biggest concern, lack of weapons. It is simply put, the Giants had absolutely no answer for power and gap run scheme on the offensive side, on the defense side of the ball. We saw the Eagles just barrel the Giants over in their playoff game, play after play, with essentially the same shit. And it was not, and it's not because the Giants were guessing wrong and, and, you know, positioning themselves for them wrong schematically. It was because the Giants simply didn't have the personnel to defend those kinds of runs. 
Now with Bobby O'Carrigan in the mix, they have an opportunity to do that. And hopefully, like you said, with Mike McFadden making a jump in the run game, which to me still remains to be seen if it's going to carry over the regular season. What doesn't remain to be seen for me is Bobby O'Carrigan being an impact player right away. I think, you know, one thing I noticed when I watched his tape on the Colts was just how much of an impact he was going to make sideline to sideline. And that to me was really lacking last year against the power gap runs. But, you know, what also showed up and what showed up in this preseason game, Nick, which is honestly, arguably more important is the instincts, his natural instincts for playing the linebacker position. It's not to say Jalen Smith and whoever didn't have them, but they just weren't a tick slower. It felt like at reading and reacting to these run plays. And Bobby O'Karake is a tick faster than your average linebacker, maybe two ticks faster. And it showed up in a lot of ways on several plays. I have a few in my notes here. It looked like you wanted to say something though. So jump in Nick. I was just going to say watching the tape, there were so many plays where you saw every gap filled there was nowhere for the running back to go not only was the defensive lineman winning their one-on-one battles and the linebackers winning their one-on-one battles but there was just no rushing room it's exactly what you want if you're a defensive coordinator and i think a lot of it starts with dexter lawrence like dexter lawrence gives you such an advantage as a nose tackle and myself and joseph a listener of our podcast he's a great x's and o's guy as well We go back and forth on Twitter and we were just talking about, and I don't remember the exact play, but one of the run fits where Dexter Lawrence just stacks the center up and he lags. So it's one way to, to steal gaps on defense is for the defender, the defensive lineman to execute a lag technique, which means his primary responsibility. If you're Dexter Lawrence as a nose is say the a gap to the strong side, but you lag your ass back into the a gap to the back side, And it's, effectively playing a gap and a half. This is stuff that Brandon Staley does. A lot of these cover four, Vic Fangio, a lot of those teams in order for them to be able to gap themselves out up front and also play too high cover four match quarters, whatever you want to call it type of uh, defensive structure. You need to have the defenders up front who can occupy a gap and a half effectively and not allow the run to just barrel down your throat. Dexter Lawrence allows you to do that. And not only does he allow you to do that when you do create one-on-one matchups up front, which Wink Martindale does an excellent job doing this by crowding the line of scrimmage or just going with his base five-man front with two four-eye shades, the nose, and then the two end guys on the line of scrimmage who are usually wide of the tackles. That's going to create a one-on-one matchup. And if that one-on-one matchup is there for Dexter Lawrence, that center is in such a crappy spot because both those guards got to respect the four eyes. Those four eyes are told to run at the guards and the tackles got to kick out to the end man on the line of scrimmage. So if it's a five-man protection, you're almost guaranteed a one-on-one matchup with Dexter Lawrence in that center. And I just think from a passing perspective, that gives you such an advantage as a defense, but also from a running perspective, when you do play a gap and a half and you do want to have multiple defenders and cornerbacks playing deep, then you can actually mitigate explosive plays while also gapping yourself out up front on defense. That's all football is right there on defense is you're trying to steal gaps. Offense can come out with double Y sets to try to create extra gaps that the defense needs to account for. And then you have these defensive backs, these cornerbacks, they rotate down and now there's a liability down there. And I want to get into this in a second and segue just a little bit. But when you have defenders like Dexter Lawrence, it helps prevent that. And you could still watch out for the pass to cover these explosive tight ends. But Trey Hawkins, the third, I know I'm jumping around here a little bit, but holy crap, dude, that dude is such a physical cornerback, Dan. I don't know if you saw the one run stick he had at the I line did, of scrimmage. You put it up on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. I put it up on Twitter, dude. And that was all throughout his film at Old Dominion. If he can do that, 
the Giants can operate in big dime. They can operate in, in smaller, lighter personnel while also not being a complete and utter mess in terms of their run defense because Trey Hawkins the third is that physical. Those are the exact type of cornerbacks everybody's looking for. And how he fell to the sixth round is, is beyond me. Yeah, and it could just be a situation where, you know, it's not necessarily that he fell because of his film. He fell because of the competition he played against and the projection that you have to make as a general manager as to how that's going to look against different level of wide receiver in the NFL. And I still think Nick, if I'm going to be honest with you, that remains to be seen. The jury is still out on if he's going to be just like a lockdown corner or somebody you could trust. But regardless of that, what's not remains out to be the jury is not out on if he's going to be a physical corner. As you said, he did a really good job of filling there and he has the body type to also be an impact run defender at the same time. So that we've seen already. And I think that translates one to one covering is tougher. The matchups and as a one on one defender on an island as a corner is not easy when it's Devontae Smith matched up against you instead oh, of. Uh, rough. Yeah, mm -hmm. even Brandon Cooks to me is going to give him trouble. Like those types of guys are who I still think has speed to him. But I want to put something up here real quick and go over an example of what you just broke down about the Giants using that wide alignment with the with defensive ends, the two guys shade four eyes, and then the nose tackle being Dexter Lawrence, and what kind of problems it gives you in the passing game uh, when you just have a center out there who, quite frankly, is matched up one on one against Dexter Lawrence, and Dexter Lawrence completely takes advantage of that. So let's see if this works, Nick. I will be presenting for the first time here, and we will find out if this is going to work. And I'm buying time here while doing this. Let's see. Let's do a little share screen action, Nick. And can you see what's going on here? Yes. There's exactly the alignment Nick talked about, essentially, with a five man protection here. Maybe the running backs in to protect here. We're about to find out. I don't remember. Nah, he releases. And Dexter Lawrence completely dominates that rep and just <laughs> forces Bryce Young to get rid of the football early for an incomplete pass. That's another takeaway that I had, a mini takeaway, was it was scary seeing how much bigger Dexter Lawrence is than Bryce Young. Like, if I was a Carolina Panthers fan, like, you know, Bryce Young is small. I, I, I hope, you know, wish the best for the kid. But Dexter Lawrence, like he gets a clean hit on Bryce Young. How many of those can that kid take? Like we saw Justin Fields get his ass kicked last year against the Giants. Justin Fields is what? Six foot three, six foot four, 235 pounds, just an elite athlete. Bryce Young is like 5'11", 5'10", 190. Even Kyler Murray is like thicker He's like and more. Eight, yeah, yeah, right. It's just a little concerned. Like I just like when I saw them on the field next to each other, I'm like, I don't know how many hits this guy's going to be able to take from players like Dex, Leonard Williams, or even someone like Jordan Riley, for instance. Yeah. And Bryce Young is going to play another preseason game. I think they, they felt like they didn't need to get him into a rhythm. I wasn't overly impressed with Bryce Young. Obviously it's not easy because the giants played a lot of their starters in this game and he doesn't have the great wide receiver core yet. The old line, like you said, is not great there in Carolina, but you know, there were some good moments for him. I thought like he had a nice anticipatory throw to the sideline on like a, just a quick out route that I thought the ball placement was good on, but Overall, I did not think he was that good in this game, and I just wanted to bring up that rep from Dexter Lawrence. I want to move the discussion and keep it on the defensive line with who I thought was the most underrated player from this preseason game in the sense of what can he bring to the actual games that matter? How much can he impact the Giants in real games, not preseason games, when they translate over? And that's Leonard Williams, who hmm. people forget was injured last year. And that injury, a neck stinger, it's got to be insanely debilitative, right? Like debilitative, like, right. You're, you're interior lineman on either side of the ball. You're engaging with a, with an opposing player on a snap by snap basis. And you have to worry about your neck, like neck, your neck is pretty much engaged on every single play. And if you have a stinger there, it's not easy to just play through that. And he didn't look great last season. That wasn't his best season with the giants by any means. He wasn't nearly as good as he was in 2021 or 2020, but 
he looked really good to me in this preseason game. He had two run play. There were two run plays that Leonard Williams absolutely blew up. I want to put one of them up right now, Nick, and see what you think. You can break this down if you want. I just need to make sure I can get right to the play, and I'm there now. I want to throw this play up real quick, though, Nick. This was a play. There were two plays that stood out, but this was one that stood out to me, and I'm going to present now. Let's do a little share screen action. Uh, this is great for those listening to the podcast, I'm sure, as I talk through this. But just give me a second, and I will get there. Okay, so let's watch 99 on this play as they try to double team him. <laughs> just look yeah. at that. Like, this is that for a second. Yeah. It's, a, it's a double team, and he takes the offensive guard and tosses him to the ground and then is able to maintain a low center of gravity against the tackle. You can see how he's torquing through and swimming over the top of that guard. And if you're that running back, Chubba Hubbard, I believe that is, Leonard Williams' chest is right in your lap. <laughs> you got to try to bounce outside. And this is, this is a great play of what I was kind of – referencing before because Leonard Williams does an excellent job penetrating and defeating a double team block. Chubba Hubbard's trying to find another location to where he can run and, and get some room. Where is it there to run? Where watch the, the defense and those linebackers fill so quickly. There's nowhere for him to go. There, Paul's right there. There is a line of blue jerseys across yep. the line of scrimmage, a line. And you have Dexter Lawrence and Leonard with Dexter Lawrence also dominating his guy. Like there's nowhere for Hubbard to go. And Leonard Williams, even if Leonard Williams got dominated right there and just anchored down in space, there was still nowhere for Hubbard. Right. Like, this is elite run defense. And they also tried to do a Y insert type of play on Xavier McKinney. And I love how D Wink Martindale does this. He brings these safeties down. We see him do it with Dame Belton. We see him do it with Xavier McKinney right on the line of scrimmage. And in order to account for that, sometimes the offense brings a guy in to try and block him. Xavier McKinney's pretty damn physical absorbing those blocks. <laughs> we actually, we saw something similar with the third team defense. I don't know if you saw the play I put up with Alex Cook. It was a similar yeah. Y insert type of play where the tight end is going to go into the B gap between the, the tackle and the guard. And Alex Cook, absolutely annihilated this backup tight end. And I was like, damn, that see physical plays like that. I love to see it. Like you might not make the team, bro, but you are earning yourself a practice squad bid. And a lot of these right. safeties, and you know, we'll get into the safeties in a little bit. Cause I think there's an interesting conversation there as well, but I've been very pleased with the first team, the little bit of snaps that we saw from the first team defense. Yeah, for sure. And that wasn't the only play where Leonard Williams looked like that. He had two run plays that he blew up completely. And what we saw on that play, I think it was a good example, as Nick brought up, is the upside. Because the Giants were not a good run defense last year. I think they finished 30th in the NFL. Yes, they were better 20, against zone 28. 20 28th, which is horrible. And yes, they were better against zone teams and power gaps games. But even so, like that looked better right there than most of what we saw last season. That looked like sound run defense. Every gap accounted for with literally nowhere to go on the interior with Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. there, kind of occupying multiple gaps on that plane and in Leonard's case, defeating a double team. So just awesome to see, like when you're looking at it from the flip side, if it was the giants there on offense and we were going against a different defense that had these guys, you would be like, damn, we can't get any movement from two interior offensive linemen. And not only are not getting movement, this guy's splitting them and, and getting penetration. And that just goes to show like the advantage giants have there, but I don't want to move too fast forward past the defense of line because I think we obviously have to talk about Kayvon Thibodeau who had a really really good performance in this preseason game obviously he had the sack where he was from that wide alignment Nick talks about uh, almost like a wide nine where it was unblocked and that was cool just to see because in my mind yes you can say oh it was unblocked it was easy but not every edge in the NFL has that kind of get off and when I say get off I mean that burst off the snap and he's starting to time those snaps a lot better I talked about this earlier this offseason
season, Nick. Like I listen to Aiden Hutchinson talk about what made you know people talk who are around him talk about what made his rookie season so successful and why his tape was so good at Michigan. And a lot of it was, and this was true with Frank Frank Clark as well, a veteran in the NFL, veteran edge rusher, that ability to time the snap on your get off on your initial get off and just get right up field. And I think Thibodeau is getting better and better with that. That burst on the sack was obvious, but the play you broke down on Twitter, the pass rushing move where you see the, the advanced pass rushing move, something he didn't use a lot last year, the hand usage, much better. Something we've seen with other giants players with this coaching staff, specifically Dexter Lawrence, who took a big jump in hand usage under Dre Patterson in his first year. And then to see Kayvon Thibodeau use his hands really well to disengage and get that pressure. It led to a quarterback hit, I believe, of uh, Bryce Young. I still think he completed the pass. It was kind of a decent throw. like a Yeah, but it was a penalty, a holding penalty on Jihad Ward. So it was against Jihad Ward because Jihad Ward also did an excellent job beating whoever the interior offensive lineman was. Right. But those two pass rush reps by Thibodeau were like a little glimpse of what could potentially be like, not only can I do, I think Leonard Williams has a lot more in him than he showed in the 2022 season. That's obvious. If you look at 2020 through 2021 tape when he was healthy, but also Kayvon Thibodeau coming into his second year, this could be where the jump happens. Like we don't know, but this could be it. And those were starting to be, those were definitely good signs of it potentially being there. The sack, look, I agree with the the get off. He didn't really have to do much other than that, right. just because Iki Aquanu, I don't know what like what's going on with that guy because he stepped down to take the blitzer because the Giants sent a, the blitzing linebacker to cave on side, but the guard had him accounted for, and there was really no one else that the guard was going to block because the center was also unoccupied. So it was just a mental mishap, at least that's what it appeared like to me. In terms of cave on with, with the hit that he had on Bryce, that was a great move because he went to go engage power. That's at least what Iki Aquanu thought was going to happen. He engages with both hands and then just smoothly and quickly gets hip to hip and then brings that inside arm up to rip and then bends around the edge and corners and flattens at the top of the arc to orient his hips on Bryce Young and deliver that powerful shot. That's another one where I was like, ooh, geez, Bryce Young, man. Like that does not look healthy at all. <laughs> like to see him just get like folded like that by Kayvon Thibodeau. But you're right, dude. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited about what he can do. Cause I think if he just gets a little bit better with his hands, how many times last year were we like cave on Thibodeau was held here. Sometimes that's not called. I don't want to make too many excuses about that, but if he's more efficient with his hands, which we've seen with Dexter Lawrence, which we've seen with a lot of these young players, these young pass rushers, once they develop the precision that is necessary to separate from offensive linemen, you give yourself that much more of an edge. I think we're going to start seeing these one-on-one battles be won by Kayvon Thibodeau. One of the best things about Wink Martindale, one of the things I love most about him as the Giants defensive coordinator is his ability to scheme up 1v1 matchups just by crowding the line of scrimmage. Right. The protection never knows where the threat is coming from. And we saw, I think on the third and three on the first drive for Carolina, we saw Wink Martindale drop, drop eight. Right? Yeah, He dropped eight. When was the last time we saw Wink Martindale consistently drop eight? It was against Trevor Lawrence. Right. In Jacksonville. Remember, he did that a lot. Very so surprised game plan, and it worked, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it worked a lot against Trevor Lawrence. I'm wondering if Wink Martindale does that, you know, to change things up against these younger quarterbacks to be like, hey, you know, I'm going to drop eight sometimes. You're, you're going to think the pressure's coming, but now right. I'm just going to have a bunch of guys here. And now you need to find where the open receiver is. I'm going to trust the three pass rushers to get to you. And with a trio like Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Dexter Lawrence, it's not a terrible plan. 
it's not a terrible plan for that reason. And it's not a terrible plan because they're young quarterbacks and you rush their whole process just by crowding the line of scrimmage. They're going to be rushed. Even if you do ultimately drop eight, they may not be able to anticipate that and react to that in time. And now their process is rushed or they reconsider what they want to do pre-snap to get to something quick. And now that whatever they're trying to get to quick is not there. They have to come off that. And by that point, the play is basically blown up and the timing is all off. So I think it's actually a really smart play why he used that against Lawrence. And then probably you're right. He will use that a little bit more if they, uh, I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly the Giants quarterback schedule this year, but depending on which rookies and younger guys they face. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Nick, you ever been in the spot where you just felt like, I've got a few hours to go. I'm going to this game. I'm buying tickets. I don't have the tickets yet. You're stressing. The anxiety is at an all-time high. You're trying to figure out what the heck you can do to get to this game. That happened to me a few years ago when the Wisconsin Badgers made the Sweet 16 game in the Madison Square Garden. My dad, diehard Badgers fan, the reason I went to Wisconsin, the reason I am a Badgers fan, I needed to get him tickets for that game. It was his birthday. So I'm stressing. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, I figure it out. I use the Game Time app. The Game Time app is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and anything near you. They got killer deals, last minute tickets. You click open the app, and you're shocked to see that you can actually go to these games, having a good time, and not actually have to pay so much money that it breaks your bank account. Stanley Cup final week one this past season. I used the Game Time app last second. It was actually past the time of puck drop. Went on the app. I was in Vegas, saw the Vegas Golden Knights defeat the Florida Panthers. And I also used the Game Time app to buy my entire family when they came out here to Phoenix to visit me to see Tom Segura's special, which is actually the same special Netflix used for their videotapings. And I love it because you can find so much on the app. Like you get an actual image of the seat view, not like you're buying a seat with an obstructed view. It's an actual image. You know what you're getting. Lowest prices that I've seen by far, and that's their guarantee. You get event cancellation protection, job loss protection. They go all out here to make sure that this is a great experience for the user. 
Snag the tickets without the stress of with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use the code BANTER. That's B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code BANTER. B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Exactly. Like Sam Howell. I mean, they play him twice. Yeah. Right. If he remains the quarterback. And on that third and three, both Aziz and Kayvon actually dropped into coverage. And it was a can I think it was empty. So both of those guys drop into coverage and they're just handling any inside breaking route. So the first inside breaking route that comes into their zone, you can see they both turn towards their respective sides. And those both of those guys are athletic enough to handle those guys in the short, in the short part of the field. They're not going to carry them deep or anything like that, but handle them long enough for the quarterback to panic and be like, okay. Those guys are in coverage now. Where's my open guy? Then hopefully by that point, Dexter Lawrence is eating Bryce Young. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, let's Another move. Another I want to bring up, though, before we move away from the defensive line, Jordan Riley. We have to talk about Jordan Riley. Jordan Riley got first-team snaps. This is a seventh-round pick who was playing in the first quarter and who was playing next to Dexter Lawrence and and uh, Leonard Williams. And I get that Sean and Nacho didn't play, but it says something because he didn't look out of place. And when it was the second team out there, he dominated. He had like three or four really impactful plays. Giants may have found a, a key rotational piece here who the Giants can trust out there. Because last year, they did not have a player like that behind behind the, the two top dogs. And you also have Nacho and Ashawn now. So Jordan Riley, he could see the football field in a really deep rotation to keep Leonard fresh, to keep Dexter fresh. So damn, dude, like he uh, he's definitely somebody like, you want to talk about the drum beat that we, we always... We always discuss Dan. I don't know who has a higher drum beat. Maybe Trey Hawkins, but Jordan Riley's right there. Yeah, I thought we might get into Riley a little bit later. We can do that discussion now, though, because it's a big one right now for the Giants. And we discussed this on the last pod, just the surprising development that most likely a sixth and seventh round, you know, to these late, late, late round picks are going to make the roster, which could take somebody else's job. But Riley, for me, you know, it's really interesting when I listened to, I think it was Brandon Brown, who finally had a, a chance to speak to the Giants reporters, talk about Jordan Riley and the entire process of scouting him um, with who went down there. And then they eventually went to see the games. They even said, you know, something that was really interesting and shout out, obviously, to anyone who's broken this down already. But it's just my interpretation of it as well, which is like they didn't love his tape and that was OK to them. They're like, we don't need to love his tape. We get him with Dre Patterson, the Giants defensive line coach, and we're going to get him to the level we get to because simply put. And, you know, Brown even mentioned this. He planet theoried it. Did you hear him mention the planet theory? He's like, there just aren't that many people walking on Earth. I think he said Earth of the world. He said one of the two, but it's the same idea that are as big as Riley. And he mentioned once again, something that Joe Shane mentioned in his post-draft presser a few months ago, the knockback ability. He's like, we have a very specific thing we're looking for. Big guys, planet theory linemen to win in the trenches with ability to knock back. And they felt like if they get him with the coaching staff, they can develop him. And the craziest part about this, Nick, is what you just mentioned. That development has been super fast-tracked. Like, that was not expected this fast. Same with Trey Hawkins to an extent. No one expected that development to happen this fast to the point where, like you mentioned, Jordan Riley was getting first-team reps. I don't personally think, and you could correct me if you're wrong, but I didn't think it was perfect from him on film. I had the reps um, early with the first-team defense, the second-and-four run play early in yeah, the game. Yeah. I thought that was his worst rep of the night. I also the, the, double third, team? the double team, he did not do a good job of getting off of that. I also thought that the third and three play 
um, right after it, it was, he was a pass rusher on that play. He just got no movement whatsoever as a pass rusher. I'm not certain he's going to get a lot of good pass rushing reps in if he plays this season for the Giants. And I think he will be part of the rotation, but that's okay. That's probably not what he's for. But then he came back with some really good reps. Obviously, the ones that have gone around Twitter, I know you broke one of them down. The first and 10, the right, the, right at the very, very beginning of the second quarter I put down, that was a freaking awesome rep from him there. And it was like, damn, this dude looks like he belongs on the field right away. And it's just crazy to me how that whole process goes. They scout him. They admit the film isn't great, but they think, you know what? Just get him in front of Dre Patterson with the planet theory in mind, with the knockback ability in mind, and we'll develop this. And I'm sure even when they thought that, Nick, they're like, we'll develop this within a year or two, and we'll put him on the practice squad, and then we'll develop him this offseason in training camp, next offseason in training camp, preseason one, preseason two, maybe year three makes an impact, or maybe year two. But the fact of the matter is that development's been faster than they expected, and now he might be able to make an impact in year one. Which is insane. The fourth and one play was excellent as well. Yeah. I mean, he was the reason that play was blown up. He had, he had a he had a bunch, man. I mean, he's really impressed me on tape. It's not overly shocking. His tape in terms of run defenses, we broke down after the Giants drafted him. I was like, dude, this guy is long. He has that knockback, which is important for what we were just talking about. If you're going to play the lag technique, you need to knock the offensive guard back, get your eyes flashing on the running back. You might have your hips a little bit towards that secondary gap that you're protecting against. And if you're going to have your hips that way, then you're going to need that knockback to create that separation. And if the running back goes into your secondary gap, you need to shed and go. And he's shown that already in preseason. Again, a lot of the, the flash plays are coming against second teamers. But like I said, dude, that drum beat, boom, like sign me up, dude. I'm all, I'm all in on Jordan Riley making this team. And that's not novel at all because he's earned it at this point. I just wonder what that spells for DJ Davidson, who showed a little bit in preseason, but not nearly as exciting as what Jordan Riley has done this training camp. Yeah, it is interesting to see what that means for him, um, especially as we talked numbers game earlier with regards to our last podcast, I should say, with regards to running backs and the receivers. Well, there's another numbers battle coming into focus, the interior defensive line, because they sign Ashawn Robinson and Nacho. They have four guaranteed locks. And at this point, Jordan Riley, to me, is a guaranteed lock. You don't show what he's shown already and not make the roster because they don't want to risk him getting through waivers to go to, you know, the practice squad when he's already put that kind of tape out there because someone will claim him honestly at this point with that kind of tape so those are five locks to me so it's like are they going to go more i don't know like and the whole claiming process i just want to bring this up because it's important yeah. a lot of these teams will get really risky we saw it last year with the new york jets if you have a young player like jason pinnock wasn't highly drafted coming out of pit you try to sneak him onto your practice squad you try to get a little greedy there I don't think the Giants are going to do that with Jordan Riley. I don't think they're going to be like, hey, we're going to try to be quiet, sneak him onto the practice squad. Because then these savvy NFL teams with good pro football scouting departments are going to come in and take those players. And that's how you land Jason Pinnock. Jason Pinnock has been here for a year, and this individual is looking to start opposite of Xavier McKinney, and we're pretty damn excited about it at the same time. So that's one way that I feel like the better football teams, the Eagles, the Ravens, the teams like that, right. gain a little bit of an edge is by claiming these relatively unknown players who have high upside. It's just, you need the spots on your roster as well. And the giants right now, I'm actually really curious. We'll talk about this later though. Not today. How many spots that giants are really going to have up in the air to go out and claim other players trash or other teams trash. Yeah. Right. Cause that's going to be far fewer than they've had in a long time. 
Exactly. It's, it's fast. It was much faster <laughs> than it should have been how Shane and this regime have built the back end of a roster out. It really is. I mean, kudos to them because it took a while for Gettleman to the point where it was never even really there. They were still exchanging back end throughout the entire process of his four years or whatever, how long he had. Shane in two years has basically changed that entirely and put it on its head. So you're right. There may not be as many because every year we get the final roster. It's my favorite thing about the final roster cut down day, Nick. Podcasts like us, we predict the final man, 53 man roster. Fans listen, fans see it. It finally comes 4 p.m. Everyone's excited. They see it, they click it, they read it. Here, this guy made the roster, this guy made the roster. And then within like three, four hours, four or five of those names are no longer on the roster. And, and you know, five more players who we didn't predict from other teams are claimed and added right to the roster. That may not be the case this year. That may be one or two guys, if anything. There may be a punt returner or something in the mix that they, you know, a special team slash punt returner guy that I still think, I still think that will be where the basis of these claims probably lie because I don't think the special team is in a good place right now for the Giants. And obviously it's not the most important thing on a football field, but it is important enough to the point where the Giants literally lost the game last year because of special teams. And that's devastating. So we'll see what happens with that. But I think you're right in general, the idea that it will be far fewer than it's been in recent years. I mean, edge and linebacker are the two positions to pay attention to. Yep. Okay. Let's move toward. We did. We talked a little bit already about Okereke. Anything else from his debut? Debut. I'm sorry, debut. Or do you want to get into McFadden and Beavers? Now let's get into McFadden and Beavers. I think both of those guys impressed. Beavers showed some range, specifically on the one screenplay where he kicked outside, got outside the numbers from about the far hash and ended up making a tackle. McFadden just seemed disciplined to me within the tackle box, and that's something that I never really. I'm not worried about Micah McFadden in the tackle box. I have a little bit of concern, Dan, about Micah McFadden when it's past situations and he's not blitzing. I actually think he's really good blitzing. I think he's good and physical. I think he stays low, maintains a low center of gravity. He's not easy to move off the spot, specifically when he's coming forward. He's one of the guys who I think he led or he was one of the top leading pressure generators from the linebacker position the year he was drafted. Now, my issue is how is he going to handle covering outside by the numbers on some of these more exotic coverages? I don't know that. I think Beavers might be a little bit better than that, but neither of them really strike me as these uber athletes. I think Beavers, Beavers tested like that. Now he's a year removed. How much can he handle? Are the Giants going to dial back his his snaps? I'm not really 100% certain. If I'm a betting man, I think McFadden's going to receive the, the starting nod come week one if the Giants don't claim a lineback lineback or trade or do anything like that i wouldn't say it makes me uneasy but it, it's not you know there's still a little bit of trepidation but i think beavers is certainly going to be mixed into the rotation and i think they both looked admirable in the end preseason week two we have a slightly different read on this one i think i liked what i saw from mcfadden again and in the only i mean you i think you just perfectly broke down the mcfadden situation i like what he saw i still think he's the same player he was moving downhill maybe a tick better at that because he's more comfortable and he's reading faster but we still haven't seen much of what he's able to do when he has to flip his hips laterally and get in a passing lane or make a play on a pass. And unfortunately for the Giants, they're not going to be able to just have him on the field as a blitzer in all pass situations because that's just not how things work. If he's on the field in pass situations, he's going to need to be able to flip his hips and cover and get involved in pass lanes. That mm -hmm. remains to be seen. 
The only thing we had a little bit of a difference on was Beavers, to me, looked hesitant. I didn't think it was the same version of him before the ACL. And that's to be expected because he's going to be – anyone coming off an ACL always talks about the mental hurdle they have to get over to play 100% from a speed standpoint. I just felt like he was a little bit hesitant in the run game. I, I know the screenplay you're talking about, that was a good play by him. And I thought it was mostly just like a really good job of him flowing, good IQ there. He put himself in good position. He looked pretty smooth. It's not that necessarily that I don't think he looked smooth out there. I just didn't think he was like as aggressive moving downhill and like bursty as he was maybe before the injury. So there's two plays in the third quarter that I feel like the, the criticism you just levied towards him actually worked in his favor. But the first okay. play of the third quarter, he sifted perfectly. Like he didn't just go right downhill. He sifted perfectly, waited for the running back to commit. And then he hit the running back at the line of scrimmage. I think it was like a one yard gain maybe. And then a little bit later on in the third quarter, he had another one where I don't remember who the defensive lineman was, but I think it was a duo block scheme. Might've been inside zone. Either way, it was a combo block on the defensive lineman. It wasn't Jordan Riley. Guy got buried. And then Jordan Riley didn't do a great job from the opposite side and beavers just patiently waited behind the guy getting buried and then shot and hit the linebacker. I think just beyond the line of scrimmage. And those were two plays and it happened in like, I think the a gap, maybe the B gap, but it was, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't an extended play or horizontally stretched type of play, but I, uh, I felt like he handled it well and it was a little bit patient. I think I'm, I'm there with you. It wasn't like he was shot out of a cannon. I don't, I didn't find him to be overly explosive. But this is his first game back. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I did think he had a couple of nice plays within the tackle box. And I want to go over the play we referenced earlier, the fourth and one stop from Jordan Riley. So I want to present my screen so I can show that play real quick so we can get a, a little idea of of what exactly happened on that play for those watching along. Obviously if you're listening, it's not going to be as great, but here we go. This is the fourth and one stop Jordan Riley lined up right over the nose and just does an excellent job shedding, penetrating and finishing. I thought. Yeah, it was, it was an elite. If you want to go back and, and show it, he is the one technique. And I love what the giants did here because they have a three technique and then a five technique kind of right on top of each other to the strong side. And you have, Jordan Riley has a one technique and he's the one who ends up making this tackle, but everybody else is kind of stacked up. If you watch this play, you want to roll it, Dan, you can see how Jordan Riley is just going to go up against, I believe it's the center and he's just going to undercut it. He's going to feel it out and he's just going to toss him aside and make the play. It's reactive, but I also love how all of those edge rushers and the defensive linemen who are aligned to the strong side over Ian Thomas in the condensed formation, they all just stacked up every single one of those blockers. I think O'Shane is out there. If I'm not mistaken, you yep. see the pushback here. There's really nowhere for 41 to go. Again, even without Jordan Riley dominating like that, it looked like uh, number 72, who I believe is Kobe Smith, also did something similar to where he was going to win his one-on-one -on -one matchup and make a tackle if it wasn't for Jordan Riley. You see how he avoided 67? Yep. I don't have no idea who 67 is, but that was a nice move by Smith. And we don't really talk a lot about Smith or Jeter or a lot of those other defensive linemen because – it's very unlikely they're going to make this team with Jordan Riley playing this well and all the depth the Giants added at the interior defensive line spot. But that was a really nice move right there from, I believe that's Kobe Smith. If it's not, I really apologize. It's hard to see the number right here. Yep. And I just wanted to go over that play real quick before we get into some play from the corners in this game and from the safeties. We're going to talk defensive backs now and flip it over. Let's talk about the big two as far as discussion goes. We don't obviously need to go too in-depth in the Dory Jackson. We have a good, strong feeling about what he'll be. But the two rookies, Deontay Banks, Trey Hawkins, the third. Who do you want to start with? 
I think they were both sticky. I'll, I'll just group them in together. I think there's other conversations that we could have about some of these guys who ended up playing late into the fourth quarter where I'm like, yo, this hmm, little question mark, this guy's going to make the team. Banks and Hawkins the third are certainly going to make the team. And I felt like both of them were very impressive in man coverage. I think Hawkins showing that physicality on the run support. I, I really love to see that, but it's not like they're getting beat down the football field. I think maybe Hawkins, and you saw this a little bit against, little bit against the Detroit Lions, stumbled a couple times. And I saw that against the Lions, but overall, and I'm looking at this defense, your best three cornerbacks in nickel personnel right now, easily, are Banks, Hawkins, and Adore Jackson. It's just how do you want to align them? Because Banks can align in the slot. And then Hawkins is going to be outside no matter what. But Banks, you can line the slot. Adore, you can align the slot. It looks like Adore is going to be that guy, but I'm uh yeah, I was impressed. What about you? Yeah, I was very impressed with both of them. I had a few plays in my notes that stood out from Hawkins. I'll talk about him first. There was the first play that you put on on Twitter, Nick, where they had that really nicely set up play. I thought the Panthers that made it yeah. really sold it like it was going to be a run, but it was a boot action with Bryce Young. And I've seen so many young corners in that spot or rookies in that spot at the corner position just completely sell out for the run, slam right inside, diagonal right downhill and take themselves out of the play. But Trey Hawkins did not do that. He was super savvy on it, read it perfectly, and then flowed back toward where Bryce Young was rolling to his right uh, right shoulder and then got in the pass lane first, which I thought was the most impressive part, which presented no easy pass lane for Young, which is what he wanted to do. And once Young had no pass lane, he decided to run. And then I thought Trey Hawkins did a great job of cutting off the angle. So Young only had like a one-yard rush. That was like an incredibly savvy play for yep. a rookie right there. I don't have that one, unfortunately, clipped on Twitter, so I can't throw that up. But I also thought he had a couple other nice reps that stood out to me at one point. I don't have the timestamps on these. I was just taking notes as I watched them. Um, and actually, I watched them back on your cut-up. So if anyone wants to see, Nick did a cut-up of all of Trey Hawkins' snaps. I believe all of Banks' snaps as well, but definitely yeah. Trey Hawkins. So I rewatched it to find this one. And he had a nice press jam at one point that stood out to me because I think they'll use him at times on that. And that could, you know, use his size, his body. Nick brought up the play earlier in the run game that was really impressive. That'll help him get on the field. Then there was another play where the Panthers ran boot action to the opposite shoulder, I believe, of Bryce Young, if I'm remembering right. And I thought Hawkins had a really nice speed turn to stay within in uh, coverage of whoever he was defending at that point. I don't remember who it was, Thielen or somebody like that. But regardless, it was a really nice speed turn by him. So I thought he kind of showed and flashed a lot of different things he can do. Physicality, press jam, the savviness of the play we talked about earlier, and then that speed turn that was really impressive to me. So I just felt like it was a really strong game from Hawkins. I don't know if you have anything there before I go to Banks. I think you did a really good job breaking down the the play on the rollout. Cause like you said, very savvy. A lot of players would not be in position or they would scramble to get in position and not even realize where they are on the football field. He right. understood the depth to sink to while also presenting the threat to Bryce young. Like, Hey, are you going to run? Because I can tackle you right now, but I'm also in the throwing lane. It's just a yes. very, very well handled play by the six round pick. Yeah. It's like a two way play. Cause you're taking away the throwing lane, but also the run. It's just awesome stuff there by, by Hawkins. Yeah, go ahead. He was in conflict. And we talk a lot right. about defenders in conflict. He was in conflict and he handled it about as well as you could. Exactly. Great, great way to tie that back to what we were talking about before, putting defenders in conflict and how important that is in the schematics of football. As far as Banks goes, I thought you did a good job of breaking him down. The one play that stood out to me on the opposite side, uh, on maybe the, the, the not concern side, but just the not so good side was a play. And I'm curious to get your take on this one, Nick. It was from um, 639 in the first quarter. It was a second and four. I just didn't really understand why Banks lost. He loses contain on this play. 
And it just didn't, it felt like he was just a little out of control uh, with the angle he took toward, I guess, the line of scrimmage or the ball carrier. And then he kind of had to flip his hips back to make the tackle, but he had already lost contain on that play where if he had just kept contain and forced the run back inside, I think it would have gone for four or five yards fewer than it did. Yeah, you're talking about the single back boundary run where the tight end was attached. It was a Y and then the Panthers motion 15 right off of his ass. And then Deontay Banks like went Ball. right off Tavon's ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's to the boundary side. Look, he's following number 15. That's his assignment. And 15 Y inserts between the the uh the tight end and the and the um and the tackle. So he followed him maybe a bit too far. And the number 15 was just blocking Xavier McKinney, who did a good job penetrating, but he just got himself sucked in too far. I'm imagining Kayvon Thibodeau, and I'm not certain here. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is probably the the contained okay. defender on okay. that play. Okay. And he got sucked in a, a little bit too far as well. And then yep. the secondary force defender would be Deontay Banks. They both did. At least Deontay Banks did enough to to extend the running back towards the sidelines and then I think like force him out of bounds and make the tackle. Yeah, but it was game. still like a, yeah, it was like a six or seven yard gain. So I'm not 100% sure how culpable he is for that mistake because I don't know it, uh, the extent of the responsibility they had on 15. I would imagine that he got sucked too far inside, though, if I, yeah. if I was a betting man. As a rookie, it's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. Though, but you do compare it to the flip side, which was Hawkins, who kind of did yeah. it on that play. That's the only reason I brought it up, because it's just interesting to kind of compare those two and juxtapose. But yeah, I think you did a good job of breaking down him in coverage. Uh, anything else on those two before we move on to some other DVs? No, I think we're good on those guys. Look, I don't have much else on just those defensive backs and like what they did. Like Pinnock looked fine for the plays that he was out there. Xavier McTackle. Except for the missed tackle, of course, on the scene. You wrap up. What the hell are you doing? Yeah, that was not good oh, by me. What do you think you are? Superman? What are you doing? Now, Jonathan Mingo, big strong dude, though. I'll yeah. tell you that much. Xavier McKinney, wow. I loved watching him at the line of scrimmage. He had the one play where he just ran through the Y insert block yeah. and just and then ended up hitting the um running back in the backfield and Bobby O'Karake kind of cleaned it up as well. I love what I saw from him from that standpoint. But Dan, I really I kind of want to get into some of these players who I don't know if they're making this team. And they're playing deep into the second half. And they're players that you and I, if you were to ask us a couple weeks ago, would be like, yeah, they're going to be fringe guys, but probably. Like Oruarie, Bobby McCain, O'Shane Zimenez. Yeah, Zimenez is playing. Darnay Holmes. Like, I don't know, Dan. Those are four people we probably thought were roster locks before the summer. Not roster locks, but some of the O'Shane, like some of them were close to roster locks, we assumed, but. Holmes is the Holmes is a little bit weird because it's a two point seven million dollar price tag. So th- there's that that's going to be factored in, no doubt. But seeing them out there with what the third string quarterback for Carolina, like after Matt Corral left, I'm like, oh gee, like Jake Luton's out there. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, that's the one that really kind of took me back was Bobby McCain. I was like, right. why is Bobby McCain out there? So I don't know, something to monitor for sure. If these guys are playing a lot in the Jets, maybe this is just because you have snaps to to give out. That's but, what I, I mean. Was- if it's just like a more of like an injury situation and just like they don't have enough they don't have enough bodies but that really shouldn't be the case at safety um with Bobby McCain and it might the be veteran. the corner because Flot was hurt like there's some things going on there but I don't with Okereke and Holmes but the McCain one's weird for sure though Shane one's pretty weird as well but not all that unexpected for us because obviously we've seen him struggle against the run throughout his career with the Giants and not really offer too much in the past game either 
And it wasn't even like McCain played that many snaps. So he just like went out there like in the garbage time after Dane Belt and then Javarius Owens were playing snaps. And I'm just like, oh, maybe there's maybe I'm reading too far into this. And that's another player I really want to uh, bring up though is uh, Dane Belt, bro. Like, oh, Belt. well. Yeah, Dane Belton read those two screens to Ian Thomas, who honestly, man, he has to be probably the most uninspiring tight end one I've ever seen. I don't think he's a tight end one anymore, but he was they have David Hayden Hurst now. But like for like two years, I'm like, dude, how is this guy still the tight end? I mean, he's an okay blocker, but the screen fantasy for a few years. Do you remember that? No, but there were people like hyping him up as like the late round target in fantasy multiple years in a row i remember this multiple years bringing up his athletic profile and like the target share like potential target share it's just like no ian thomas ain't that guy no no he's, he's not that guy but uh yeah so i think dane belton blowing those two plays it just shows how smart he is and that's like something that we've heard off the field from players right. i remember like the giant social team did like oh who's the who's the best at this i can't remember exactly what the question was but it was it was a question that revolved around basically who's going to be the most intelligent and smartest person for some kind of specific high bar to set, I guess, if that makes sense. And it was a lot of the players said Dane Belton. Like, oh, Dane Belton. Yeah, man, he's really smart. Yeah, and it was Julian Love was on the team, too. So a lot of people said Love. They're like, oh, Love and Belton. Yeah, they're really smart. So I'm just like, damn, man, it sort of translates to the field a little bit. You think about how he's in position so frequently to, to, to seize turnovers. And sometimes he doesn't seize them. But this is a second year safety that we haven't talked about maybe enough, man. Yeah, I agree. I've been tooting this horn for a while. He hasn't had the steadiest drum beat like a Hawkins or a Riley, but I just feel like this dude is always in the right position to make a play. And he's by far and away, in my opinion, in the secondary. Now, some of this is not a knock on McKinney, who's used in so many different ways. A lot of times around line of scrimmage that it's harder to make a play on the ball, but the most advantageous potential, you know, safety or D back they have from an interception standpoint on this roster. Like he makes plays on the ball. So he would not surprise me as a, as a sleeper pick for the giants this year. I, I felt like Hobbaball Donato, I guess had a couple like knockback type of plays that I saw. He was only out there for 14 snaps going to pro football focus. Nothing that really jumped out at me though. What about you? Yeah, nothing else. I the, I covered the players who who really stood out to me in this game, um, and the ones I definitely wanted to touch, which are the guy, you know, like the starters and the guys I think can make an impact this year. How about Nado is an interesting one though. Would you mention with Oshana Zimenez falling on the depth chart? Like they're gonna unless they go to the wire, which is probably what ends up happening. They need something else at edge. Like edge does feel wildly shallow at this point. It does. It does. I'll say this about Zimenez. Look, Zimenez isn't exciting. He doesn't do the best job rushing the passer. He had a couple really nice plays last year. We, we talk about how yeah. him dropping into coverage and how athletic he is. That that definitely helps him. I do think he's had, I'm trying to remember the exact play, and I can't from this game. I know we had one against the Detroit Lions that maybe we haven't talked about enough. So there is still utility there with a player like O'Shane. She's on a one-year deal. And do the Giants want to just kind of grow with a player like Haba Baldonado or even the guy like uh, the kid from LSU, Bauer? I'm not certain. So just seeing him out there, because I'm pretty sure he played into the fourth quarter, if I'm not right. mistaken. Yeah, he was playing up until like the last drive of the game. So I was just like, hmm, a little odd there, but... For sure. All right. That's all the time we have for today on the Big Blue Banter podcast. Please, if you're enjoying the show and you're watching right now, hit the like button, hit subscribe, give us a five star rating on iTunes, leave us a review. Also, hit auto subscribe and download there. Just all the little things, they help us grow.
And that's what we need to do. We need to grow because then we can provide you more content. So thanks again for tuning in. This was our all 22 defensive review. Keep it locked and loaded more content coming. And then once we get through that third preseason game, we're going to have a two week period before the first regular season game. We're going to do a ton of like fun content that I wanted to do, like breakout picks for the Giants, sleepers, oh, yeah. potential, like that type of stuff, bull predictions, like all the stuff that I love to do. So, so keep it and any ideas you have for that, you can throw out our way as well. Definitely want to do another live show mailbag type of stuff. We haven't done that in a while. So That'll be on this YouTube page as well. So otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.